Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company, and now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 263. In this episode, we're going to focus on the importance of incorporating local marketing strategies, regardless of the size or reach of your brand. Even if you are an e-commerce brand that caters to a national or global audience, there is value in thinking locally when it comes to your marketing efforts. So local marketing can play a crucial role in your overall strategy, helping you connect with customers in specific geographic locations and build a stronger community around your brand. So we'll be exploring various approaches to local marketing, providing you with practical tips and insights on how you can leverage the resources and opportunities available to you, and ultimately, harness the power of local marketing to benefit your brand. We'll be looking at this topic through the lens of Hillary Fink Jewelry, who we've been spotlighting as a jewelry brand case study. If you're joining this podcast series for the first time this season, I'd suggest starting with episode 252, which will introduce you to Hillary and allow you to follow this narrative from the beginning. But before we jump into that chat with Hillary, let's take a moment to break down what local marketing could mean for your brand. We'll delve into the ways you can begin investigating the potential of local marketing and also provide actionable steps to help you build momentum with your local marketing initiatives. Then you'll be able to better assess whether or not diving deeper into local marketing is a worthwhile pursuit for your brand. But before we get to the solid gold, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. And you can always support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts Or if you have any jewelry friends, let them know about this podcast. I think a lot of people can benefit from it. All right, let's get into today's episode, my sparklers. Today, we're diving into the powerful world of local marketing, examining its potential to significantly benefit your business. Local marketing isn't just for newly established jewelry brands that are aiming to test their product market fit. It's also a great tool for cultivating relationships with your target audience. Engaging with your customers on this local level allows you to gain a deeper understanding of their needs and enhance your products and the ways that you communicate with your customers. Now, in no way do I want to poo-poo the importance of selling to a nationwide or a global audience online. If that's your business model, of course, there are benefits to doing that. 
But if you diversify your marketing efforts, you could potentially forge meaningful connections with customers in your local area. And if you do find your brand struggling to gain traction through things like paid advertising or your current social media marketing efforts, then local marketing could be the solution that you've been searching for. So starting local really lets you leverage your immediate surroundings, really what you know, and tap into that audience that's literally right at your doorstep. So what are the potential benefits and outcomes that you can expect from local marketing? I wanna talk about this both from the small business perspective, and if you're a larger, more established business, that perspective. So first of all, it's definitely going to help you engage with the community. And engagement is so much the name of the game in marketing today. People don't just want to be like sold at they want to be engaged with and they want to feel like they're part of something. For, so for a small business, this can help build strong relationships, foster customer loyalty, and best of all, those word of mouth referrals that are truly like gold. And then larger jewelry brands can really use this to create a personalized connection with different communities. So while a larger business can sometimes feel a little bit more distant and impersonal, local marketing can help that business feel more relatable and accessible. Definitely, local marketing can really help with SEO and searchability so that online you have that presence locally that's easier to access for people in that area. So small businesses can really optimize their online presence for local search. And that just means people can find you more easily. When you are trying to do SEO and competing with like literally a global global competitors in the jewelry space. I mean, it's possible to rank high in search, but if you sell things that are kind of more generic and competitive, like engagement rings, definitely you will find it's easier to compete on a local level and get those local search rankings that will help people find you. And then larger businesses can use local SEO strategies to ensure, let's say they have multiple stores or products that are more geographic specific or focused, that can help them really establish a presence in the market that they wanna be targeting. You can also potentially find so much strength in local business partnerships, especially if you're a solopreneur or small business. So forming partnerships with other local businesses can help you leverage each other's customer bases. If you're having trouble with reach, getting new eyeballs on your brand, what better way to find new people to look at your business and your products than cross-promoting or partnering with another business that also benefits from the reach that you do have. And if you're a larger jewelry brand, then a local business partnership can really give you that unique opportunity, again, to be more authentic in your connections. Maybe you could partner with local influencers or more popular local businesses to do like a collab or some other kind of cross promotion. And lastly, you could potentially get better targeting in your marketing. So local marketing can really allow your brand to tailor your messaging 
in your offering so that you're meeting the specific needs and preferences of your local audience rather than just casting a wide net to everyone within your target audience base. So what could local marketing look like and really mean for your brand? So I'm gonna give a few examples of how you can actually engage with local marketing on a practical level. And maybe not all of them will work for you, but I want you to kind of think through what could potentially be adapted for my brand. First of all, event participation. So for small businesses, this can mean like craft fairs, markets, um, other like collective kind of business events that you do with a few other small business owners. That's a great way to just get in front of people, tell your story, practice telling your story and see in real time how people react to your products and the words that you say to them. And for a larger business, this can mean maybe sponsoring or even hosting a local event, which can really create brand awareness and showcase that you care about the community and that you support them. In addition to events, you can consider customized local offerings. So for a small business, this could mean offering products that are like tailored to the local culture or trends. Maybe you have a limited edition piece that resonates with the community. I don't know, like some kind of food that's really popular in a city or even like something that is the color of like the popular football team there. I don't know, I'm just kind of brainstorming off the top of my head, but you get the idea. For larger businesses, same thing, limited edition co collections. Add that unique touch that people who are local would connect with, resonate with, and be really proud to purchase gift to others and wear themselves. I talk a lot about PR on this podcast and how I don't necessarily love what's called vanity PR, quote unquote, which is a type of PR that maybe looks really good to your brand, makes you look cool and like you've quote unquote made it, but isn't going to have an impact at the end of the day. However, I do think there's some value in local PR and media coverage because people in local communities tend to trust those like influencers who maybe run like the local magazine or local newsletter, or they're just more like tapped into and interested in supporting local brands and businesses. So they're kind of always looking for new places to shop that are within their communities. So that would mean getting featured in local newspapers, magazines, TV stations. Also with local marketing, there's an opportunity to do direct mail that on a nationwide scale would require a lot more resources and it would be a huge investment. So there's opportunities in direct mail for small businesses if you're doing it on a local, very targeted level. Um, that would be like sending promotions, discounts, or even like brand awareness information, postcards, catalogs to people within the area that you're targeting. Also, when you're doing marketing on a local level, there are a lot of online tools that you can use that can help you build clout with the people that you're trying to market to. So like Google My Business, Yelp, 
those are great places to direct people to write reviews and customer feedback because they're really well-known platforms. And oftentimes people love sharing their opinions. I mean, there are even people on Yelp that just, that's like their hobby. They love writing reviews. And ultimately getting those reviews can not only serve as like user-generated content or social proof, but they can also help you gain visibility in local search results. Another version of events would be like pop-up shops or mobile showrooms. So setting up temporary pop-up shops at local events, parks, popular gathering spots, gives you a way to, again, showcase your products and engage with the community and in fun and unexpected ways. And lastly, if you're genuinely interested in the local community, engage in some local storytelling. So make connections between your brand and about the history, culture, or people in the local community. Do that through social media, through blog posts, or other content formats. So what are some ways you can begin investigating the potential of local marketing to see, okay, is this something I want to pursue? Is it right for me? Definitely do your local market research. So understand the demographics, the culture, the preferences. It's probably really helpful if you actually live there and you've lived there for a while because you probably know these things intuitively. But if you can find your target audience within your local community and then determine the trends, the styles, the preferences they have, that will be very valuable. Also, are there local competitors? Are there other brands like yours that sell locally? What types of marketing are they doing? Take note of what's working well for them and also where there may be opportunities for your brand. Also, if you do have some knowledge of SEO or you can work with an SEO consultant, I want you to kind of see where you stand locally. How healthy are your like Google My Business and Yelp profiles? What are the opportunities there? What kinds of keywords would you target? Also look at the social media landscape within your community, not just the other businesses that are present, but like, are there influencers in your community? Is there a big presence around promoting your community on social media? Is it a popular tourist destination? How much are people within that community actually sharing things like events, family outings, hot spots, whatever is in your community, how much of that is like communicated on social media, even by normal people within the community. And also investigate what is the potential with partnerships, like what other local businesses are around? Are there artists? Are there just like tastemakers in your community? And can you imagine what those partnerships might look like? And if you're going to go forward with local marketing, you want to start with a pilot program. So once you've gathered your information, you've done your research, you really just only have to start small. So maybe think of a pilot local marketing initiative. Maybe for you, that is doing that pop-up shop at a local event or starting with a collaboration with a business or one social media campaign that's more local focused. I wouldn't like throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I would kind of start with one thing to dip your toe in it. 
make sure you're monitoring the results, gather data to inform future efforts, and of course, ask for customer feedback from local customers. That's the best way to learn whether your local marketing is resonating with them and even what those people want, what would be interesting to them, what would entice them, what would engage them. Always ask the people that you want to be selling to. So coming up in our chat with Hillary, I'll be talking with Hillary about her connection to the San Francisco Bay Area, where her studio is located. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for joining today. Hi, Larissa. Great to see you. Good to see you, too. So I want to focus on you're based in San Francisco, basically, and you have a studio there. You make your jewelry there. You've told me in the past that your brand isn't necessarily like the DNA is not in San Francisco, let's say. But we have found some potential opportunities, especially with SEO, like you're already ranking for San Francisco jewelry-related keywords. So we were wondering if there is a way to like explore that further, see if you could bring more local customers. You had also mentioned to us that You do sometimes have clients come visit the studio. You have your open studio coming up also. So we're like, well, let's like talk more about this. I want to understand it better from your perspective to see if there's anything we can pursue um, along those lines. So I want to know from you, like, first of all, let's start from the beginning. How has the city kind of influenced your jewelry journey? And maybe we can then talk about how you feel connected to the city now, if at all. Sure. Um, So when I moved to San Francisco in 2000, I had come from Fort Collins, Colorado, and I had come from the metalsmithing um, and jewelry design program at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And um, when I first came to the city, I found a waitressing job uh, in North Beach, the neighborhood North Beach. And one day I was walking around before work started and I happened upon this little jewelry studio in North Beach. And um, I went in and it was this Italian father-son family of jewelers. And it ended up, it was Peter Macchiarini, who was like 90 years old at the time. And he's kind of one of these, quote unquote, like messengers of modernism in terms of one of these people, these artists that um, kind of moved studio jewelry into where it is today. And so I started talking to them and asked if they needed some help and I became their apprentice. And so I helped Peter um, with a lot of things. I helped make some of his pieces, some of his very um, iconic, like these, he had a lot of like ebony and recycled ivory pieces inlay or had this like piano necklace that kind of like frayed out along the neck, um, like fanned out along the neck. And so I helped make some of his pretty iconic pieces. And they taught me taught me a lot of great things about how to do inlay. And, um, and also, it was just cool to be around Peter. He was like 90 years old, and he was working every day. And like, he's shaky, and he couldn't really see what he's doing. And sometimes he'd catch himself on fire, and I'd have to help <laughs> him put his sleeve out. I'm not kidding. But anyway, so that was, you know, that was interesting because through the Macchiarini's, then I I met um, the owners of Velvet Da Vinci, which the gallery isn't open any longer. But 
Um, I would, Mike Holmes was kind of a collector of Peter's work. And so he would come into the studio sometime. And um, so I met him and then I would go to Velvet Da Vinci a lot just to visit because it was just one of these galleries that's just like, I mean, iconic, just the best jewelers in the world in terms of contemporary um, studio jewelry, not like, you know, fine diamonds and things like that. Like Todd Reed was there, but it was when Todd Reed was like still very little and being discovered. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that gallery really impacted the way I thought about jewelry. Um, And I was in one of their shows one time, which I was just thrilled about. Um, So those two things really did influence just kind of the way I, because I was still so new, you know, you just come from college and it's just like the sky's the limit, right? Like you feel like you can make anything, but then when you see what some of these really iconic people in galleries are doing, it really like stretches the imagination and makes you feel like you can really, that there's a market for something that's really creative. Mm -hmm. It was I mean, so I did my own research. We were working on a blog post for Hillary and I was like looking up the history and Peter came up like in like the history. And I was like, wait, that's so cool. Hillary like did an apprenticeship with him. And so from pretty much the outsider perspective that I have, I think that it's a very interesting and rich history that at least from my perspective, it feels like Hillary is like part of the tradition. And mm-hmm. so... I was surprised. Well, you can tell me how connected do you or not, n- or maybe you don't feel to it. What's what are your thoughts about it? I mean, I feel I feel connected to the history in terms of what the modernist jewelry scene was doing in the fifties. They basically said, "We're not going to make diamond rings. We're not here for that. We're here to make sculptural jewelry that's interesting, that's one of a kind. We're going to use." materials that people don't normally put in jewelry. We're going to, we're going to just make whatever we want. And so that kind of started in San Francisco. It was also happening a little bit in New York with like Art Smith. And then there's also like Alexander Calder kind of contributed mm-hmm. to that as well. Um, so that like really appeals to me and that's very inspirational to me. And the other thing that's really cool about that time is that those artists at the time, like Peter Macchiarini, Margaret Tapata, who has, I'm, I'm hugely influenced by Margaret Depata's work. She always loved brutalated quartz, and I do too. Um, is they started the, the San Francisco Metal Arts Guild. And like Margaret Depata was the first president of the guild. And so working with Peter, you know, they were big into like, you know, the Metal Arts Guild and the local jewelry scene and all of that. And so, um, you know, I stopped working jewelry for many years. And when I came back, I felt like I should, probably try to be a little more connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did become the the president of the Metal Arts Guild um, here in San Francisco for two years, kind of like as it was coming out of COVID. And that was more, it wasn't so much that it was me wanting to be connected. It was that I saw that they needed help. Um, like they, they needed a president. They needed someone to kind of take the helm. And I had some ideas for things that I thought that the guild should be doing to help its members. And so I came at it more like that. Um, But otherwise, I don't know. I guess I find it hard to be connected in the sense today just because, and I don't know if other jewelers feel this way, but like we just sit at our benches and we make jewelry Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I, I don't get out as much. Like I should probably be 
stopping in stores more often, like Love and Lux or Fiat Lux or going over to Berkeley to Shibumi, you know, places like that. But I don't know. I just kind of like my little, <laughs> my little <laughs> solitary work environment. Yeah. I just like to make jewelry, you know. It makes sense. Yeah. Going back to what you said about like the figures, the people who were like involved in this. One thing I think is cool and that I think you're also a part of is like it was a lot of women, which Mm -hmm. I mean, I think only until recently, the industry has been like very male dominated. Mm -hmm. And I think people kind Mm -hmm. of forget that. So it is cool that there were these like pioneering metalsmithing modernist (laughs) women. (laughs) It's true. And they were, um, you know, they started some of the jewelry programs, at some of the art schools out here. And they were, they're highly regarded um, as being, you know, these women that were at the forefront of creating jewelry that wasn't traditional. You know, it wasn't like, you know, a diamond ring. Mm-hmm. It's just all very interesting, you know, art, art jewelry. Art jewelry is huge today. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, there's so many different types of, of jewelry. We all understand that, but art jewelry is, is huge today. And um, I'd like to think that the those kind of founding members of modernism jewelry kind of helped create the, the path for that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was, have you ever, I know you said you kind of like to spend time in your studio and working, but like, have there been any instances where you've collaborated or like, I don't know, done projects with other artisans or makers in the community? Well, let's see. I've helped um, some people, like if they have special clients that need some enamel work, I've helped kind of do some of the enamel work on some pieces um, because not everyone has a kiln or even knows how to enamel. And it's something that I don't do that much anymore, but I used to do a lot of enameling. I mean, I also, the one thing that I find that's really cool about San Francisco is we've got like, you know, the whole downtown area full of diamond setters and engravers and gem dealers. I mean, it's kind of like New York City, but, it's, you know, it's much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't do like if a client wants flush set diamonds and things like that. I don't I don't do that. I take that work downtown to um, some people that I trust and same with the engraving. There's someone downtown that I use for engraving. And um, in that respect, I it that community, I really enjoy. I enjoy knowing that there's you know, reputable people that, that I can just like hop on the train and go meet face to face with them. Um, it's really cool. And then, you know, there's organizations like the, um, WJA that has a really good Northern California, um, not office, but what do you call it? Like chapter here. Yeah. Chapter. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've been to, I don't go to too many of their events, but I, when I do go to some, it's always nice to see familiar faces, you know, like April that owns Shibumi or Sam Warman or um, just some other like Aaron Cuff, just some other really cool, fun um, jewelry designers. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking, too, with your open studio um, coming up soon when we were putting together with the Save the Date, I like that you suggested to call out some of the other artists in the building and so we can include them in the email. And, you know, that not only promotes them but it kind of makes your event feel more compelling too because it's like oh Mm. I get to go see like a bunch of people that's that's interesting yeah 
nice studio building is awesome. It's just this huge old mattress factory that's just full now of artist studios. And so there's some incredible woodworkers in my building, ceramicists, painters, sculptors. Um, I mean, you name it. And so um, like, I don't know if anyone's from San Francisco who's listening to this and there's a bunch of, um, you know, we have a lot of hills and there's uh, a bunch of steps that this woman has done all these tile mosaics along Mm -hmm. the steps. And she's just down the hall from me, you know, like she gets grants to do this work all over the city and all over the Bay area. Um, There's just, there's so many cool artists in my building. So coming to open studios, isn't just to see me, but it's to see, it's to see all these other artists and where they work. It's a cool building. Yeah. That energy must be like very inspiring too, to just be around. It's fun. If, if, we see each other. I mean, a lot of us keep our doors closed and we just go to work. So it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, you kind of have to like knock on someone's door to say, hi, you know, how are you doing? Or you see them in the hallway or something like that. But I do have my little crew of, of artists that, um, that I like a lot that it's just fun to chat with. And we always say we're going to like get a beer after we're done working, but we never do. I don't know why. <laughs> but we never do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I bet you guys are kind of all like a bunch of introverts. <laughs> We are. We're like, yeah, we just we like being in our studios working, you know? Yeah. yeah, totally. So final thoughts. Again, I know this is not like a, at the forefront of your marketing. You don't like emphasize the local aspect, but I'm just curious if you have any thoughts, advice, takeaways for other people listening to this episode. You know, th- I don't know how many different guilds or you know, organizations there are around, but I would find out if there's one in your area, you know, the WJA is all over the United States. They have chapters everywhere. There's little, you know, enamel guilds or other, you know, uh, jewelry guilds. I would, I would join them and not necessarily because you feel like you want to be social and maybe you, you do want to be social and network. Um, cause that's what they're there for also, but there's a lot of benefits that these organizations offer, um, you know, grants and just resources in terms of um, different consultants that can help you with things. Um, So I would say join any of those organizations near you. And then um, if if there's any jewelry stores in your area, or even if you have to take a little road trip and drive for an hour or something, I would visit those stores. I would introduce yourself, just get them to know your name at least, you know, I wouldn't bring in jewelry um, because generally they don't like that. It's more of you to just introduce yourself and have a conversation and then maybe ask like, Hey, how do you guys like to um, see people's jewelry? Can I send you a line sheet? Can I make an appointment to bring some in sometime? I think that's really, really important to just, um, just be around, just be present. And, um, and then, yeah, if there's other, other jewelers or artists around you, just, connect. You never know when you might be able to help each other. And it's just like-minded people knowing each other is always nice. Those are awesome tips. I especially like the one about just connecting with others and even outside of jewelry. I mean, the customers who buy your jewelry, they buy other things like they buy clothes, Mm -hmm. they buy housewares, whatever, whatever they buy. So it's like, 
find other people who also cater to your target audience and brainstorm ways to like collaborate or inspire mm -hmm. each other or even just to like be accountability partners or something like that. Yeah, that's another great way to find out when there are going to be different events happening. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have a table up at some event, it's nice to know when those are um, when you maybe just find out about that from other artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent point. Well, thanks, Hillary. This was a fun, fun chat today. You're welcome. My pleasure. So what did you think about the interview? Are you excited to continue following Hillary on this journey? I highly encourage you to check out Hillary's website, hillaryfink.com. And follow her on Instagram at Hillary Fink Jewelry. I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment what you think. And let's get into the gold mine. So if you're new to this podcast, the gold mine is a segment where I get a little more personal and share my own insights on entrepreneurship, mindset, success, growth, all things business in the jewelry industry. And in this week's gold mine, I'm going to be exploring how your personality can potentially influence your business, your approach to marketing, and the way that you portray yourself within your business. There's no right or wrong personality for a business owner. I think as long as you are true to yourself, you are passionate about what you're doing, and you feel centered in all your efforts. So this is coming up because I recently revisited the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, or MBTI. If you're not familiar with that, this is a questionnaire that reveals different psychological preferences and how people perceive the world and make their decisions. You may have come across MBTI or other personality tests, maybe like in college or even in the workplace. I know that some employers use personality tests to understand their employees' strengths and how they prefer to interact with others. Some people I've talked to love personality tests. I think I'm one of them. Other people find them a little unnecessary that might be you. But I do think that understanding your personality, especially if you're a solopreneur or small business leader, is so important. So knowing something like your MBTI type can help you like self-reflect on your thought processes, help you embrace your unique approach to business. And I'm saying that because I do have a lot of solopreneurs ask me, like, how much should I be a part of my brand? Where should the line blur between, like, what I want my brand to be and how I want to represent myself? Or, like, am I doing this right? Or, like, how should I tell my story? And those questions don't have right or wrong answers. I think it comes down to your values, and how you want to be portraying your business. And the more insight you can have about yourself, your personality, and the more that you can have conviction in, in that and be true to it, I think that can only help strengthen your brand and your storytelling. It can also help you identify aspects of your personality that maybe don't resonate with customers or employees so that you can like play to your strengths, but also either like 
hide your weaknesses or work on them to strengthen them and to bring light to them. And so that you can approach, change your approach to your brand to be more relatable, to connect with the customers that you want to connect with. Again, I just mentioned a lot of solopreneurs struggle with defining the boundary between personal and professional. So knowing kind of like your personality can help you understand your comfort level with interactions, with decision-making, so that you can confidently set boundaries, make decisions, draw clear lines around your brand without feeling pressured to conform to like what another business is doing. Because nobody wants that. That just results in like not being clear in samification, as I like to say. So take ownership of yourself, how you want to be in your business, and the stories that you want to tell. Now, there are other personality assessments. There's the Enneagram. There's the Gallup Strengths Finder. There's a whole bunch out there. They can all provide you with valuable insights. Also, if marketing is not your strength and you feel frustrated about that, you might find in your personality assessment that like, it's just not going to happen. Maybe you're better at something else. You're better at design. You're better at the finance part of your business. That doesn't mean you should avoid marketing and throw in the towel, but it could be a confirmation of you being able to set future goals around like bringing on marketing help, taking a marketing course, outsourcing your marketing, and feeling super confident about that instead of banging your head against the wall, trying to do all the things in your business when you really should not be and instead lean into your strengths and interests. What do you think about that? Let me know in an Instagram DM, podcast review, or YouTube comment. Did you have any questions about today's episode? You can always email me, Larissa. That's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com slash book for more information.